Welcome to Cowboy Ed, where we saddle up and ride all over the prairie talking about all things education. And we are excited for our ride today. I mean, we got the, the horses are in a giddy up. And how, how you doing out there, Maya? I'm doing well. Got my horse ready to roll. I'm excited for this conversation. Well, today we're, we're going to talk a little bit. We, we've got an expert. We, we've got a, not just, you know, just a cowboy on the horse. We've got an actual expert that's done some research that's that's looking at some bits and pieces of what's happening in education. Uh, with this, we've got Dr. Paul Maddox with us. How are you doing? Doing all right today. I, I appreciate you invited me to be here with you all. So one of those big catchphrases in, in education today is trauma. Students experience trauma uh, as a result of the pandemic, during the pandemic, after the pandemic. Uh, trauma was around for, for a long time, but that term has definitely became more catchy in educational circles, if you will. And so you're our expert on on trauma in school and so let's just let's just start with a really simple example for our, our listeners out there when we use the word trauma i see like a tv show with emts and like blood everywhere and them like getting out the paddles but that's not necessarily what trauma is so when we think about trauma for our kids in school how do we define that what is that what is trauma for our kids well Trauma can, you know, while it can be what you just described of, you know, that that more witnessing a, a very uh, dire physical type of event, um, it's not always that. Trauma can mainly be described as like an experience or a situation that overwhelms a person's ability to adapt, and that can lead to strong negative emotions uh, that's associated to a degree of, of what the person experienced or what they've witnessed. Basically, it's anything that one can perceive as a threat to themselves or to others uh, can then be uh, defined as a, a traumatic type of event. And so uh, a lot of people think of, you know, like what you were describing uh, of, you know, the big uh, emergency type of trauma, but it can also be smaller chronic events that happen that one feels threatened over and over and over again that can then impact their overall development and their overall uh, way of being and ability to adapt. So when we talk about trauma, we're really talking about those situations where one feels threatened and it impacts their, their ability to cope and deal and adapt with the world. So Paul, that last part that you just said to be able to cope and deal with the world I'm guessing that's where it intersects with school, right? Because if I have something going on that's taking, you know, my attention away from learning, then there's some kind of a barrier to me participating in school. And so if that is, if I'm thinking of that correctly, and you can confirm or deny and, and tell me, put me on the straight and narrow here with my horse, what do we do about that? How do we help students in a learning space like a classroom? I think you're spot on in that, you know, it going, experiencing traumatic events where, you know, you feel uh, a threat to, to oneself or, or you witness someone else uh, being hurt or, or a threat to their safety, that definitely will impact 
one's ability to engage in the in the learning process. Um, and you know, there's there's years and years of research and observation with this, um, and and it goes back to the some of the early on concepts like with Maslow's hierarchy of needs and others, in that uh, if you don't feel safe and secure, you're you're not going to be able to focus on those higher level thinking processes because the way our brains uh, develop and the way that our brains work, uh, you know, the if we don't feel safe, then our brain stem, that's the the back part of our brain, is going to be more activated than the the other parts of our brain, such as the limbic system or the prefrontal cortex. And to engage in academic cognitive uh, types of task and functioning and, and learning, you have to have the prefrontal cortex activated. Well, the way our our brains have developed and evolved over the, you know, is that if we sense that things are not safe, if we feel threatened in some way, then all the energy goes to that part of the brain, the brainstem. Why? To help us with the fight, flight, uh, freeze or fawn type of response. But if we're wanting to engage in learning, we're going to have to activate the prefrontal cortex. Well, you can't do that if you're in that state of I'm feeling threatened, I'm feeling not safe right now. And so if you've got a, a, a child who is in that I'm not safe face, it doesn't matter what learning intervention that you do cognitively or what type of behavioral kinds of uh, you know strategies you're trying to use, it's not going to be effective. Why? Because the brain is not activating that part that is needed to engage in those uh, tasks in, in that in that type of environment. So it's vitally important that we recognize the impact that trauma can have on the learning environment and on uh, the educational process. Uh, because if you're wanting a child to learn, you've got to recognize what it's going to take for them to to feel that, to be able to engage in that. And they can't do that if, if they don't feel safe. And if they're grappling with these traumatic events, it's going to be that much harder for them to try to uh, engage in that process. So, Paul, you you bring up these this idea of safe. And, and we, I think everybody in education can, can say, well, of course, we have to have a safe environment. But as I as as I listen to that, I, you know, we think about this abuse um, that that we that kind of falls under all these things that can, as you said, like the experience that overwhelms the emotion, whether it's it's parental or or what's happening in the home, or those things. But but I feel like most teachers, unfortunately, feel like okay, when you come to school, this is a safe environment. So you've walked through the doors. We we have some. We have, we're providing some food for you, possibly. We're doing these things, but this is a safe environment. That that abuse that you experienced is not here. So shut that off. Now you should be able to learn because because it's safe here. How do we deal with that? Safety doesn't just encompass physical safety and having the physical needs met. It also encompasses emotional safety, 
And, uh, you know, in order to be effective in creating that safe environment, it needs to be safe physically and emotionally for them to be able to then engage cognitively. And again, that corresponds with the different parts of the brain. Uh, you've got the brain stem, uh, which has that fight, flight, freeze, or fawn type of response that goes with that. You that's has that sensory input of, you know, is this environment physically safe for me? But also, before you can activate the prefrontal cortex, you also have to uh, engage the limbic system, which is the the parts of the brain that deals with connection with others and emotion and feeling nurtured uh, and being nurtured. And that's that emotional component is just as vital as the physical and the cognitive parts of of who we are as individuals. So I I get what you're saying on, oh, we're creating this safe environment in school, but at the same time, it's not always perceived that way by many students and many children. And even some um, some teachers may not even feel safe in that environment, even though it's physically, uh, you know, not uh, an immediate physical threat to things, but it can still not be the the type of environment where they can be open and free to engage. I can think of just off the top of my head, you know, there I have interacted with teachers and and others to where they're wanting to create that environment. They're wanting to reach out, but then sometimes the tools that they use may actually be counter to what they're trying to establish. And so, for example, I've had uh, I've consulted with with different schools and teachers and administrators before when working with children who have experienced severe abuse and neglect. And I've heard this type of statement before. Of, well, we can't just let the kid do whatever they want. You know, they've got to have consequences, and you know, we've got to put them in time out so that they can, uh, you know so that they don't disrupt the other students so that we can continue on with what we're doing. Well, if you've got a child who's very severe neglect, for example, and they are they're coming into this environment that you were saying is safe, but to them, how do they know that? How can they trust that? Because the other environments that they've been in have not been. And so when they come into this environment, you know, they're already at a heightened level of of uh, of awareness of what's going on around them. And whenever something even looks like it could be a threat, they're going to react. Uh, and so you might have, again, that fight or flight. I've seen kids, they're, they're the ones who bolt out of the classroom or they're the ones who uh, very quickly you know, uh, have a physical response, i.e. hitting, kicking, uh, yelling, cussing, things like that. Um, and when those kinds of things happen, like, for example, if we're talking a, a younger kid, we say, no, you're going over in time out. What we are doing by that is we are not engaging that, that limbic system part of their brain so there's a disconnect between the, 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 
the brainstem and the prefrontal cortex. We're trying to get them to activate that prefrontal cortex and be self-regulated and engage in these higher level types of thinking kinds of activities. But we have to recognize we have to help them feel safe and then we have to connect with them emotionally and then we can activate that prefrontal cortex. Uh, I've often heard it explained this way. The, uh, the brainstem is uh, kind of like a crocodile because that's the part of our brain that we share with reptiles and other animals. They have the same type of uh, structure in their brains. So we've got the crocodile. And then in the middle part of the brain, that's the, the limbic system. That's what we share with all mammals. So uh, let's call it a puppy. And then the prefrontal cortex, that's like our computer. That's the higher executive functioning. That's what you need to engage in academic types of uh, activities. We have to calm the crocodile and then feed the puppy and have connection before we can ever turn on the computer. And so we're expecting these computers just to be turned on and ready to go as soon as they walk through the door. But the crocodile is yelling and is angry. The puppy is hiding, doesn't know if it can be nurtured, so the computer never gets turned on. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's uh, the way I, I start approaching it. And so, again, sometimes the, the behavioral types of interventions and the different learning activities that we have in our schools, they don't take into account, hey, this child, this student is coming in. They're not automatically going to trust us. We have to build that. We have to build that connection. We have to be able to demonstrate to them this is a safe physical environment and a safe nurturing emotional environment. So now that you, you know, and that takes some time to build that. Um, and doing things like I mentioned earlier, like uh, having a timeout or you need to go down to the office, that does not send the message of I'm connecting with you, I'm nurturing with you. That sends a message of I'm excluding you, I'm getting you out of here, which reinforces for them the same ideas of, of neglect and abuse that they may have witnessed in their life. They don't feel connected then. I don't know, as I'm saying that, I don't know what, what thoughts may be coming up for you, but uh, you know, that's something that I, as I work with teachers and, and principals, it, it's a paradigm shift for a lot of people, I think, starting to look at how are we interacting with these children? Well, Paul, you talk a lot about the the brain research component of this, and I love the analogy because it kind of breaks that down. And at least for me, I that connecting it to the animals, right? That helps me make sense of what you're talking about. And you know, we don't prepare teachers for this kind of work, right? This isn't the typical, um, you know, pre-service teacher class or even you know, professional learning opportunity that we have for teachers. So as I'm thinking about, you know, the last couple years and all of the mental health um, issues that have surfaced with all of the things that have, you know, been going on in our world. And then I think, you know, all of the things that, that you've mentioned about, you know, neglect and abuse and that are, are longstanding, right? All of that seems to be elevated in our education systems right now. So your work with trauma-informed care, how does that translate to, you know, a school? So if I'm 
you know, working, if I'm working at a school and I am interested in putting something in place, where do I start? Sure. Um, well, there's some key components, and this is this has been looked at and researched by a number of different people. And when we talk about how do we become more trauma-informed in schools, there's some key components that have been identified. Uh, and with this, I think it's important to point out, while each of us individually, as, as educators, as uh, adults working with children, uh, within a school setting, each one of us, you know, we have a responsibility uh, to strive to be more trauma-informed and connect with our students. But really, for, for a school to become trauma-informed, it's going to take everyone working together. It's a school-wide type of intervention and, and initiative that really needs to take place. And um, some key components uh, are, for example, uh, being able to recognize and appraise instances of traumatic stress, being able to recognize, hey, there might be some trauma that has happened here in the instruction and in our the way that we structure things within the school. We need to consider and attend to that traumatic stress, like what I was mentioning earlier. Uh, what types of uh, policies or, or interventions are we uh, implementing within our schools? And do they take into account, uh, you know, that the impact that trauma can have on one's emotional, physical, and cognitive development? We need to provide instruction that's developmentally appropriate regarding trauma and how to promote awareness to help not only the teachers, but the students be aware of, hey, um, you know, sometimes things happen and it can be hard to cope with. And, you know, you're not strange or weird or um, it's not abnormal for you after uh, a scary event or after, uh, you know, when you feel threatened, it's not abnormal for you to have these types of reactions. Uh, now, it may not be the healthy thing, uh, but it doesn't mean it's abnormal. And so we want to uh, help bring some of that awareness up so that when students do start experiencing some of these kinds of things, they know, oh, this may be connected to what I experienced, and now how can I get help with this? Uh, and with that, we need to be able to connect with students and their families. Uh, we need to create a learning environment that takes all these things into account and promotes more social and emotional skills and wellness. And we need to be able to model, as educators, culturally responsive care with all of this, taking into account all the different factors that uh, may impact uh, how a student is perceiving what they've experienced and, and what they're uh, experiencing in the present. And along with that, recognizing whenever there's those what we call big T types of trauma, the big emergency kinds of things, natural disasters or community-wide types of trauma, being able to incorporate crisis response and emergency management approaches within the school system to help uh, not only acknowledge but respond whenever you have the, the more system-wide types of trauma that occurs. 
Um, and with all of this too, we need to foster a culture of understanding and recognize that not only does trauma affect students, it affects us as the adults and, and teachers as well. If we're working with a student and they have experienced some type of trauma, that can then vicariously impact us, um, you know. And with all of this, you know, being more self-aware as educators is really important. And we have to evaluate and amend our school discipline policies and practices, taking into account the impact that uh, these experiences have on students and the learning environment, and then build partnerships with community stakeholders uh, and multiple systems. Because unfortunately, while we try to provide as much support as we can within the school setting, we can't always provide all the supports that students need. And so while we may be able to identify that there's uh, a, an issue, we want to be able to uh, you know, connect them with the resources that they may need. And that's part of becoming more trauma-informed as well, being able to recognize the need and help identify and connect with resources for that need. Uh, as I'm listening to this, I'm hearing this on one avenue, but I'm hearing teachers' voices, our listeners out there, uh, potentially ringing in my head. And, and I think most of them on, on one hand would absolutely agree with, the, with, with everything that's being said. But I, I think there's another aspect to this that maybe we, maybe we need to talk about, just at, at least acknowledge and address. I think a lot of our teachers, A, walk into the classroom with their own traumatic experiences in, in their background. But then secondary, the trauma that they experience as, as they go through their teaching uh, career, dealing with, and, and maybe even more so in the last few years, where kids are, are, are under so much stress, but then they're attacking, whether it's verbally or their parents are verbally getting involved, or, or sometimes it is physical and coming at teachers and staff, that leaving the day going, wow, I never thought I'd have a student come at me like that, that and really not having the skills to deal. How do we, how do we help teachers that have that traumatic experience in their background recently or, or further back? Well, I, I think it's so important um, that we, and that's just part of being trauma-informed as well, is recognizing what we, each, each of us, what we have experienced in our life and seeing and becoming more self-aware of that. And how is that impacting and how does that color how we interact with others? And there may be uh, things in our interactions with students that are triggering for us. Um, and that can definitely impact that learning environment. It ripples out, you know, as far as if we want to become more trauma-informed, we have to be willing, you know, as educators to engage in some of this hard work ourselves. And I say it's hard work because it is. When it comes to trauma, so many times, if it's not addressed in a developmentally appropriate or neurobiological fashion, 
we develop within ourselves ways of coping that aren't always the healthiest. But the reason why those things develop is because they work to some degree. And so many times the thing that we see that works is, oh, just avoid it. Let's not talk about it. Let's just move on. And with that, over time, that can create issues down the road for us as the adults. If, if we have never addressed or dealt with what we have experienced. And then whenever we do have that challenging situation, like what you're describing with uh, the way that students are interacting with us. Why? Because they've got their own trauma and they're younger. They're still developing. They're trying to figure this stuff out. They're, they're going through this. And so whenever they're, they don't know how to cope and deal with this. So when they interact with us, you know, they're hurt. And then if we've been hurt as the adults and we've not addressed it within ourselves, then you've got hurt upon hurt and it just adds to it. And I, and something I, I tell a lot of students and others that I work with, you know, hurt people end up hurting people. Um, and it's not always on purpose, but if we are hurt ourselves, we need to become aware of that and do some work. Uh, and when I say do some work, I mean, you know, seek out supports and therapy and, uh, you know, process through what has happened to us. Why do we react and think and feel the way we do? That self-awareness is really important. And if we can do that within ourselves, then we can differentiate what's my stuff and what's going on for me versus what's going on for this student right now. And then we can focus on how to address what's going on with the student. But we can't do that if we've got all of our stuff popping up uh, and bubbling up inside of us. Uh, as we interact with them. And that's something that is not really talked about much in teacher ed programs or in many of the standards uh, in education. Um, it is discussed uh, a lot in, uh, you know, some of the more helping professions, uh, school counselors. I know this is something that school counselors, there are specific standards on trauma-informed care and, and addressing trauma and uh, self-awareness and things like that in their learning standards. But it's not always brought up, uh, as someone had mentioned earlier, in some of the education prep types of programs. And so it's, you know, that's not a blaming kind of thing. It's just an awareness and an observation. And for us to become more trauma-informed, like, for example, the CDC has put out uh, that there's six guiding principles that that one would want to keep in mind. And that's first safety, like what we've already talked about. The next is trustworthiness and transparency. You can't really be transparent if you're not aware of what's going on, both within yourself and with others. Um, and that trustworthiness, like what I talked about earlier, uh, is really the way that you communicate trustworthiness is by modeling, it's through actions, it's through behaviors, it's not just through our words. Um, peer support is really important. And that goes for, for, for teachers, educators, uh, professionals in, in any realm. We need the support of each other to be able to get through this. Again, that's connecting that limbic system. Not just this, children need that, but adults, we need that too. 
And so if we've had our own traumas, we're going to be in our brainstem a whole lot. But then we need that peer support and that connection, uh, that nurturing uh, through our limbic systems. Why? Then we can activate. We have more integration. We can activate that prefrontal cortex and be able to problem solve then. Because what I'm hearing uh, you, you say, James, is what's the problem solving? Well, to get to the problem solving, we have to help bring about safety, be trustworthy, have this peer support connection, and then we can have collaboration and mutuality uh, in our system. It changed the culture uh, of, of the system. So we collaborate more. Then we become uh, more empowered, uh, which is the, the fifth approach. Empowerment of our voices and our choices and taking all of this into context within our historical, uh, cultural, and uh, other perspectives is so important so that at the end of the day, it really comes down to how do we connect with one another? How do we recognize what's going on inside of us in our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions? If we can recognize that, then we can recognize what's our stuff, and then we can focus on what's going on with the students and be more present with them. But it, it's, when you break it down in that way, it sounds simple, but simple doesn't mean it's easy. It can be very challenging, it can be very difficult, and it's a, it's a process, it's not an end product. It takes every day being willing to be present, to be real, to be vulnerable, really. And that's that's really the big catch is are we willing to be vulnerable with ourselves, with others, with our students? And when it comes to trauma types of issues, it's very hard to be vulnerable. Why? Because we've been hurt or scared or threatened in some way. So our defenses go up. That's what's going on for our students. That's what's going on for us. And so how do we systematically across the, the whole school help to break down those barriers so that we can be more real, authentic, tr safe, trustworthy, collaborative. That's how you become more trauma-informed. And Paul, you talked about, you know, when you think about those things, that, that coping skills, it's, I think, I think teachers are almost by their nature just good at coping, whether it's dealing with budget cuts or dealing with this that they don't have, or that they figure out a way to make it work. They just, by their nature, so it, it fits that they would have, over their life, felt, came up with their own ways to cope. And as a result of that, they feel like, well, that's part of just living. Like, you learn to cope. You just, you, you everybody should figure that out. And as I'm, I'm, I'm hearing you talk, I'm thinking about some of the things Maya does with, with her students. And, and I'm, I'm hearing almost a, an angle on this. And Maya, I'm going to let you jump here for a second, that maybe instead of student teaching for a whole semester, that some of our teachers, our pre-service teachers should be spending time student counseling, working with counselors to get that. How, how are we going to work that into your program, Maya? <laughs> I'm not too sure about that. I have no idea. But I, it's, my thinking was exactly what you're talking about, that the things you're talking about, Paul, with being self-reflective, 
and vulnerable and building relationships, right? A lot of this has to do with getting to know your students or letting your students get to know you, knowing yourself, right? And and mm-hmm. being able to, to be human in this educational space. I think that those are things that resonate with, you know, a lot of educators, whether they're teachers in classrooms or principals. And so listening to you explain this process, I'm thinking about the community, right? And it, and it takes, I guess, you know, that idea, uh, I think it's an African proverb, but it takes a village to raise a child, right? And Mm -hmm. that, you know, you have the school counselors, you have the classroom teachers, you have special ed teachers and supports and paras and I don't know, the bus driver, you have all of these people that touch learners' lives on a daily basis. And for those people to come together in a mindset of approaching the, you know, the community of education or the space that learning is supposed to take take place in, in this way that recognizes, you know, all of those struggles that we have in our lives, I'm it it kind of revolutionizes what that space could look like in thinking about what a trauma informed school could offer teachers learners the bus driver everybody right so yeah. i don't know well, i don't know that i'm asking a question but i think <laughs> you know i guess the by my thinking is about you know that community building right and yeah. so you know i see that maybe as a fundamental piece of this yeah what while it's not necessarily labeled as trauma informed i think it goes right in with it and it's something that i try to communicate anytime i consult with with teachers or i'm teaching school counselors or uh working with parents even um and that is i think underlying all of this is what messages are we sending to ourselves and to others? Um, are they healing messages or are they other types of messages? And there's basically four healing messages that I think in, whether we're in education or just in our everyday lives, but particularly for, for teachers and, and for parents and others working with children, there's four messages that I think underskirts all of this that we want to be able to send and communicate to to our students, to children. And that is this, in everything that we do, are we sending the message of I'm here, I hear you, and I understand, or at least I'm trying to understand. Those are three core components. And if you can communicate those three things, there's a fourth message that is communicated very clearly to a child, and that is, I care. So if we can communicate, I'm here, I hear you, I understand, then they're going to know that we care. And when they know that we care, even if they've experienced some type of trauma or they're experiencing some type of traumatic uh, event in their life, they're going to know that there is a safe person, a safe place, a place that uh, they can 
be to where they are fully supported. But many times, the things that we're doing as adults, even though we're wanting to communicate we care, it doesn't send those other messages that help solidify that I care, you know? And I would encourage educators and others to think about what I'm about to do, this, whatever interaction I'm about to have, whatever, you know, thing I'm communicating, does it send the message that I'm here, that I hear you and that I understand so that they know that I care? Or does it send a different message? And oftentimes, I've noticed educators, we want to send those messages, those healing messages to our students. But then we feel some type of external pressure to send a different type of message unknowingly. And so along with that, I think to really be trauma-informed, we have to have a paradigm shift from trying to meet the expectations of adults and a shift to identifying and addressing the needs of children. And so if you think about this, with what I do within my classroom, with what I do uh, interacting with the students in my school, before I, before I do whatever it is, I need to think, is what I'm about to do, does that meet the expectation of an adult or the need of a child? Now, in an ideal world, those two things will align. But what I've noticed across our society is there's many times where the expectations of the adults don't align developmentally. Uh, they don't align appropriately with what the needs of the child is. But if we address the needs of the child, then we're going to be more likely to be able to meet the external expectations that are often placed on a school. But Sometimes I think we get the cart before the horse with that, and we focus almost solely on these other pressures. And I, I, I feel for teachers because they get this a lot. You know, you got to make sure your students are performing and they're doing this and they're doing that. Well, it's really if we focus only on that, it's really hard to be trauma informed. But if we be trauma informed and identify and address the needs of the child and send those those healing messages to them of I'm here, I hear you, I understand, and I care, then they're going to be able to engage more fully in the learning process. And again, going back to our brain, what we know about the brain, the reason why that will work is because then we're calming the crocodile, we're feeding the puppy, and then they can turn on the computer. Well, Paul, you have, wow, uh, so much Great information shared, and and I, I love the last part, uh, thinking about I'm here and I hear you and, and I'm understanding or I try, I'm trying to understand. I mean, those are, you know, we think about KWLs and different things teachers focus on to get their lessons right, but if they're starting off each lesson or each day, really thinking about that, that 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 in and of itself can shift where we're where we're headed with education and as, as Maya and I've talked about you know education is at a is at the point where you know maybe it is time to totally throw some things up in the air and do it differently maybe the shift of content has to figure out how we embed that content in and, and learn lessons of content uh, mixed in with all of, with, with our 
social emotional development and that's far more important than just learning to quote unquote read or, or write or do math well we've came to the end of a amazing long ride dealing with trauma and and i think i think horses help people deal with trauma and, but we we got to let them have a little break now and so please like uh, and share our podcast. Make sure you're subscribing to it so you're getting all the latest updates. And by all means, uh, any of the social media avenues, please let let us hear your voice. Let us hear your questions. Uh, and, and please reach out uh, to any of our guests. But in this case, make sure if, if you want to know more uh, about trauma, Dr. Maddox is an amazing resource for all of our listeners out there. But it's time to bring this ride to an end. So let's head them up. Move them on. Move them on. Head them up. Head them up. Move them on. Cowboy Ed. On the run. <laughs>